Good evening again, everyone. We're back for our favorite hour of the week, the Gleaned Podcast. We'd like to welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in. If you're on Facebook, you know what to do. Click the thumbs up button. Also, click the share button. Share it on your wall, on your social media page, so other people can have an opportunity to hear what we discuss. If you're on uh, YouTube, do us a big favor there. Hit the like button there. You can also share it by sending it through a text uh, to, to let somebody know. It's be your part of helping us to spread the Word of God all around the world. And also, if you're on uh, you know, either one of those, the video aspect of it, uh, let us know where you're from. Let us know you're watching. You can put comments in the comment section. Uh, you can interact with us so that you can be a part of it. If you have any questions during the podcast, we'll try our best to answer them live. Uh, if it's afterwards, we'll get back to you in a timely manner. But at, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump in on tonight's subject. And tonight's subject, we're going to be talking about why does family matter to God. And uh, I think that's something that's very important uh, is the family structure we're going to look at, uh, you know, the world's aspect. Why do we think Satan has been attacking the family so much? And what can we do to prevent these attacks from tearing our families apart? And we believe that God has an order for everything. And, you know, in the beginning, uh, in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, you go on and after you read creation, he, he put Adam in a deep sleep because he seen that Adam, even Adam by himself with all of creation, and he named every animal, every species, he named plants, he named everything. And it said that Adam walked in the cool of the day with God. Now, you would think that if you have if you get to walk with God, uh, who else do you need? Because a lot of times, you know, we make the, the statement as, as believers, as Christians, we'll make the statement, I don't care who's against me as long as God's on my side, he's the only person I need. But at the same time, God said in his own word, that is not good for man to be alone. So he put Adam in a deep sleep. He took a rib from Adam. And he created Eve, and then he told them to subdue and to uh, procreate and to replenish the earth. So God started man and woman, male and female, and he created the man in a way and the female in a way that when they were together in intimacy, they could create children. They could bring forth more of their like kind. And that's where, you know, when we look at that aspect of it and, you know, we've talked about uh, homosexuality and the L LGBTQ, uh, STV, LMNP, QRSTV, whatever uh, extra letter they've added this week to their uh, list of letters. Why do you think that the, the world is pushing homosexuality or transgenderism so hard? Well, it's because you go back to the word of God and he created male 
and he created female, and he created them to come together. The Bible says in Genesis 4, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave, which means hold on to, earnestly, passionately. He said he shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. When Adam woke up and he seen Eve, he said, She is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The two become one. And the Satan wants to separate the man and the woman. You know, back in uh, early early times, divorce was, uh, you know, even even as back in the 80s, I can remember uh, 70s and 80s, uh, divorce, you know, it was a very tragic thing. It was, it was usually frowned upon. Uh, you know, it didn't really matter what happened. It was just when the divorce, it's like, oh, my God, you know. And a lot of times it would, it would uh, shock people. Uh, growing up, you know, uh, I had several friends that their parents divorced, and, and I know what it did to the children. Um, now, if you're watching and you've been through a divorce, I, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not throwing shade on you. Uh, you know, God, God can, can restore marriages, but most of all, he can restore you. Uh, I don't care what anybody says, but if a man and a woman are both serving God, keyword serving God, not in this uh, greasy, hyper-grace type serving God, I'm talking about biblically, both of them are devoted to God, have given their lives to God, divorce will not happen in their home. You say, yeah, but I know so, so it, it don't matter. Uh if you if you dig into a divorce, even in Christian homes, which I looked up, uh, I think it was a Pew Research poll right before uh, I come from home to do the podcast, and in uh, two thousand and twenty one, uh, a divorce between uh, husband and wife in the Christian home was at like thirty two percent. It was between 28, 32%. And, you know, I think in a secular world, it's 48%. And you say, well, yeah, that, see, that's a lot higher. Well, Christian homes shouldn't be that high. But anytime you take your, your eyes off of God, when you take your focus off of God, Satan is standing by to see where he can drive a wedge, to where he can get in. Because if Satan can destroy the marriage then he can destroy each individual because it, it, when, when divorce happens, it hurts people. Uh, it causes people to wonder and a lot of times push away from God. But most of all, it, 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 it hurts what God has established. And I've said this before, but there's two things, two covenants that God established in the Bible. One was the church. The other is marriage. They're both is what God established. And a lot of times when you read in the New Testament, in Ephesians, some in First Peter, when, when you see God talking about marriage, he'll say, or, or one of the disciples will say, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about marriage here. I'm talking about the church. 
Or you'll see when he's talking about the church, some things in the church, then he'll go and say, but I'm not talking about the church here. I'm talking about marriage. Both of those are covenants that God holds dear to his heart. So Satan wants to destroy what God has and what he has made covenants between us and him and between man and woman. And a lot of times divorces happen and people say, well, I just fell out of love with them or you know what they've done to me. And they forget the aspect, the, the most important part was when they got married, they made a covenant, not only with that spouse, but they made a covenant with God. And you see a lot of times, and I've noticed this because over the years I've, I've had the privilege of doing, uh, you know, several, well, more than several, but a lot of weddings. And I've always noticed in, in a lot of weddings that everybody wants God at the wedding, at the ceremony, but they want Satan at the reception. They want God to be there with their vows, but then they want alcohol and everything else of the world at the reception. And you see God, when you, when you get married, when you have that covenant with God and with that spouse, and then you walk right out of that covenant vow that you just made into a, a reception that's serving alcohol and, and doing all these worldly things, you've told God, hey, God, you were here for that part. Now, if you will, if you don't mind, you go on back up to your hiding spot, uh, sit in, in your throne and leave us alone. We've got this part. And we, we have to realize that when we make that covenant with God, it's serious. It, it's a very serious thing. And, you know, Satan will cause, uh, you know, each of us to pull apart. I, I've heard people say before that, uh, you know, marriage is 50-50. You know, I don't know how many of you have <laughs> ever heard that, but people used to say, well, marriage is 50-50. No, marriage is 70-30, 90-10, You know, it, sometimes we'll go through things and we're not able to give our all, but it's, it's our spouse's job to pick up our slack and help us through that. That's why it says the two shall become one. You see, you're not in marriage by yourself. This is a team effort. We're in this thing together for the long haul. And, you know, a lot of people will get married. They'll have kids or they get married because they've had kids. And as soon as marriage don't work, then, okay, well, we're getting a divorce or, you know, I, I just not living with them anymore. And now you've got a child involved and then the child has to, uh, be tossed from this house to this house and then back and forth. And then you get it on this holiday and when you get them on this holiday. And then when each spouse begins to date, this child is introduced to uh, different people with different personalities. Sometimes they can be abusive. Uh, you know, it can become toxic and it can be come hard on that child. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have the children and one of the spouses, uh, one of the parents just checks completely out and the child is left with one parent to raise them and nurture them. So Satan is doing everything he can to destroy, first of all, the marriage. And when you look at every TV show, uh, just about, you know, when I was growing up, 
uh, you know, we had like the Cosby's, uh, I, I can't, you know, there's several more shows. That's just one that really come to me. I think, uh, uh, God, what was the one with Kurt, uh, Cameron in it? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't either. Uh, anyway, uh, it may come to me a little bit. But these were all shows where there was a family unit. It was the husband and a wife, and it was children. And, yes, they would have problems. They would have issues. and But it would show that they would stick together and work it out. They would talk things out. And at the end of the day, irregardless of what happened, they were family. And family mattered. But then as you progress into the 90s and you progress into the early 2000s until now, I can't think of one show right now that is on TV uh, that is a family-oriented, family-based, teaching wholesome values uh, of the family unit. I don't know that there's any on there. Um, And most of the time when you watch shows, uh, you know, somebody's having an affair with somebody else or whoops that we don't know it just happened and we were sleeping together. And, you know, uh, all these things are portrayed on these shows that people watch day in and day out on TV until it gets inside of our own minds. And, you know, when we first start having trouble and, you know, then the enemy brings those things back and, and we look and think, well, you know, that guy, uh, he, he cheated on his wife because they were having problems and it turned out good for him, uh, you know, and, and look what he ended up having. And, man, it turned out great. But that's not reality. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's falsehood. It, it's They're acting. But what they do is they teach us that, well, if marriage don't work, just get rid of that one and try another one. Start over, you know, until it becomes a vicious cycle And, you know, it just keeps moving over and over and over. And what we find is then a lot of people, you grow old lonely. Why? Well, because you can't find the person you're looking for. And you're basing it off of stuff you're watching on TV that's not even realistic. So we have to understand God has someone special for you. God has someone for you that he wants you to be with. And it's not saying it's a bed of roses. It's not saying that it's all going to be a honeymoon. If both of you are serving God and loving God with all your hearts, that every day is a honeymoon. Cause I promise you it's not, uh, you know, me and my wife just back in March celebrated 25 years of marriage. We've been together about 30 years. Uh, and there's been several of those years that's been hell on earth, not heaven on earth. But, when we decided, wait a minute, hold up, this is not working. We've got to get back to godly principles. We've got to get back to what God's word says. Then we sit down and talk and communicate. Then we could work through those problems. And that's one of the things I think that we're missing is, you know, uh, we're missing that element of communication one with another, but also with God. And we have uh, dumbed down men. When you, when you look on TV shows, every man, uh, a husband or dad, is uh, a bumbling idiot. He can't even get in out of the rain without help from his wife. 
and yeah, some of that's funny to watch. Uh, you may laugh at it, but at the same time, what we don't realize is subliminally we're setting ourselves up that men are stupid. We don't have any sense and we got to have our wife to tell us how to do everything when biblically that's not the way that works. And in first Corinthians chapter 11, verse three, he says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ the head of every wife is her, not somebody else's husband, her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, the head of every man, he didn't notice here, he didn't say the head of every Christian man. So God is the head of every man. It's just man is not submitting to him as head. And a lot of Christians that say, well, I'm submitted to God, you're not because you're too caught up in the things of the world and you forget God is the headship. So if we understand that Christ is Lord over us as men, then we have to rule and we have to uh, conduct ourselves as Christ in a godly manner. And we have to love our wives, as the Bible says. We have to raise our children according to to what God's word says, then we take our place as head over our wife. It's not to say that we're the ruler of our wife. You see, a lot of times we, we get stuck on one side or the other side and we don't balance this matter out. I'm not over my wife as far as you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I'm not there to push her down and uh, you you better know your place and your place is in the kitchen. That that's not that's not it. Um, it's I make the final decisions because I'm seeking God for the direction of my family. That's my responsibility. My wife's responsibility is to co-lead, which is to be beside me as a support to me as I make these decisions. And you you see. Uh, I, I've been in a lot of places where men will condemn or talk down to their wives or women will talk and bash their husbands in front of other people. And I can tell you one thing that if nobody else uh, believed in me, as long as my wife believes in me, I would battle the gates of hell with a wet dish rag. Why? Because God put her there to support me. She's a God sin to me to be my support, to believe in me, to say, yes, you can do it. When is my wife most attracted to me? Yeah, it's not when I got my shirt off and I'm washing the car outside or mowing the yard. My wife is most attracted to me when I'm studying the word of God, when I'm praying and seeking God. Why is that? It's because that's how we were created. You may not realize that, but women, watch your husband as they start studying the word. Men, if you're not studying the word and you want you, you're wondering if your wife's attracted to you, start studying the word. Start praying, seeking God. It's attractive to a godly woman. And when we keep that in our, our forefront, in our face, we can lead as head of the house, and a wife doesn't have a problem submitting to that because we're leading according to God's word. Then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, very familiar passage, but it says, 
wives submit to your own husbands. Notice there again, not somebody else's husband, but to your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word of conduct by their wives, of their wives. In other words, wives, they may be some of you going, well, listen, I love God and I'm serving God, but my husband won't come to church and I get on to him all the time. But the more I get on to him, the madder he gets. Don't do that. I love him and support him. Don't browbeat him and tell him everything he's doing wrong. Just leave that to him and God. Because when we do it, it comes more of a condemning thing. When God does it, it's more of a convicting thing. Support your husband. If he says he's not coming to church, okay, honey, that's fine. I'm going to go on to church. I'll see you when I get home. I love you, you know, and vice versa. If husbands, you're going to church and your wife don't, don't force them. Don't make them feel like they have to come to church just to make you happy. Because if they come to church for you, then they're coming for the wrong reason to start with. And most of the time won't receive what God has for them. Because all they're focused on is, well, I made her happy. Now can I get out of here? But you see, when we get the, the husband and wife right, now we can move down to the children. And you say, well, it's just hard to raise children in this society. Yeah, it's hard to raise children in this society. Even as godly parents, it is, it is a massive undertaking because everything they watch, whether even cartoons have become sexualized, uh, Disney is an absolute disgrace. Uh, I mean, it's pathetic what Disney has become. You know, when I was growing up, we had Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, and uh, all the other ones like that. And they were, you know, Chip and Dale, the Chipmunks. We had we had good shows. You had Charlie Brown, always taught good morals. Uh, you know, we had Bugs Bunny and them, which they were kind of violent, but it never caused any of us to to be violent. It was just fun to watch. But when you look at the shows they have now, it's, uh, they're sexualized. Uh, and you know, it, it, they're taught in schools now about, uh, sex way too early. Uh, they're pushing the homosexual lifestyle in our children's faces. They're cramming the transgender things down our kids faces. I mean, they're saying now that children, can determine uh, their sex before they even know what their favorite color is. You know, at three and four years old, they're saying that a child should be able to de de determine what sex they are. And, you you know, 10 years ago, we would have laughed at this. We would have just made fun of this and thought, well, man, that ain't going to happen. But 2022, and here we are. And you see, when you look at, homosexuality and transgenderism, the Bible says that the man that built his house on the rock, which is the word of God, can withstand the storm. The waves would beat against it, crashed against it, but it still stood. The man that built his house on the sand, when the waves come, the sinking sand, it crashed, it destroyed it. You see, God has a biblical foundation for marriage he has a biblical foundation for the home. Uh, one man, one woman, and then you can have as many children as you want. That's up to you. He didn't put a limit on that. I like two. That was enough for me. But anyway, we say that that is the rock. That's what God said. So if we build upon that, 
then our home, when storms come, and they will, will sustain. It will stay. But you see, when we begin to accept homosexuality, when we begin to accept transgenderism, where does it stop? Because, see, once you're on sinking sand, you're sinking. You're constantly having to move. Where does it stop? You know, and and we, we talk about it, but the one thing we're not, there's places trying to legalize pedophilia. There's actually people even in the United States that are coming out and saying they call it uh, MAP. It's, uh, I forget what the is mature affection. I, I don't remember. But basically what it is is a MAP is an adult that is sexually attracted or wants to be affectionate with an underage child, a minor. And you say, oh, that's not. No, it's happening here in the United States every day. So, so where do we stop? Because we're we're into pedophilia now. They're they're trying to 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 legalize it in some places, make it acceptable. Well, we we just love who we love. No, 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 no. That's not that's not that's not it. You're not going to get away with well. We just love who we love, and I can't help. Yeah, you can help who you love. Now the Bible says yes to love everybody. It says oh oh no man nothing but to love him. That's a different love. These people are talking about affectionate love. They're talking about intimacy with a, with a minor. If we don't stop that, what's next? You know, I mean, it, where's bestiality? Oh, no, that would never happen. Oh, yeah, it's coming. If we don't put our foot down, if we don't stop what's going on, yeah, that's coming next. You know, 10 years down the road, they could be teaching in our schools that it's okay to, to love an animal that way. So you see, that's the sinking sand. And when we look at, well, how do we fix that? Well, Proverbs 1, verse 8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching. You see, if a father and a mother are, are living for God and serving God, and correcting their children according to God's word, then they're going to give fatherly instruction and motherly teaching. You see, and when they do that, children's not going to always like it. But how many of you, now that you've got older, when you, you, you've become adults now, you've went back and looked and thought, my God, I sure wish I'd have listened to my daddy. I sure wish I'd have listened to my mama. I think we all have. You know, and I think that's part of growing up. But the Bible also says, you know, in Ephesians chapter six, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long on on the earth or in the land. Now, we need to be able to teach our children, look. If you obey, that's a promise that you'll have long life. That's a promise that you have, a commandment that you can hold before God. And you see, when we, we correct or, or teach our children, we've, we've got to teach them the right way. I, I often remember, you know, when I was young and would get, me or my brother, one, would get correction. We would get a spanking 
with a belt. My dad would always say right before uh, he would he would tear our tails up. He would say, "Now, boys, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you." And I'm always over there thinking, "Now that don't make any sense. Are, are we going to spank you? Because we the ones getting the, the leather to our backsides, and and that sure hurts. And you not getting spanked." And I never understood it growing up. But then when I had children, and I had to begin to correct mine. I knew immediately exactly what my dad said. Correction doesn't always feel good. We want our children to always love us, to always be, uh, know that we're there for them. And we think sometimes that if we correct them, that maybe it's going to hurt their feelings and, and, and warp their personality. Well, I'd rather do a little warping but beat the, the, the bad stuff out of them the right way than, than to let that, that corruption go and uncorrected behavior go till they grow up and become a menace to society. You know, uh, you know, men, we need to teach our, our boys how to love a woman, how to respect a woman. Wives, teach your daughters, you know, the same thing. And um, when we begin to do those things, I think sometimes that we get so focused on life the enemies put so much stuff in front of our faces. You know, uh, travel ball, uh, I think, is one of the worst things that's ever hit this nation. Uh, a lot because of church. People just, well, uh, we, our kids only young once, and we're going to let them play, and we'll be out of church. And and I understand the part of the concept of that. We, If our child excels in something, we want to promote that. We want to support them in that and, and, and push them in that. But at the same time, what we don't realize is now we've told our child, hey, we love God, but his house is not important on Sundays that you've got travel ball or travel whatever you've got, you know. And then we, we, we uh, just begin to let them do different things and we don't think that, hey, well, that's okay. It'll be okay. You know, no, it's not. It's not. We have to teach our children that, look, you can miss church uh, occasionally. It's okay to do that for a vacation or if you have to work here or there. But it needs to be a valid reason that you're saying, I can't be in God's house today. And I know there's a lot of people don't agree with that, but. You have to understand Satan will put good things. Listen to me. Satan will put good things in front of you to distract you from the greatest gift, which is Jesus. Satan, he can't, he can't deter you with something that's bad, but he can deter you with something good. What, what are you saying? Everything that's good is not necessarily of God. If anything that seemingly is good distracts you from God, it is not what you need in your life. And in the day and time we're living in, you need to be in front of God's face daily. You need to be in God's house with your family every time the doors are open and it's possible for you to be there. You need to show your children there's nothing under the sun more important than God's house. You know, when my kids were growing up, uh, and they both begin to play sports. 
both of them, uh, it was constant, constant, constant coaches. Hey, we got a travel team. We got this travel team for basketball. We got this travel team for baseball. Here we got this travel team for softball. We want your kids on it. They're, no, you're not going to do it. You're going to go to the house of God. It didn't warp them. They made it. They survived. You know, it, you think it may just blow them up and they're just go, not going to make it. They made it. And they're both awesome today. They're both in, in God's house almost every Sunday uh, with other than, you know, vacation or work. Both of them are active in the church, teaching in the church with the children's departments. And they know, my kids will tell you growing up, if you went out, missing church is not an option. You know, that's not something we do. It's not something we take lightly. Well, I got to go to church. No, we, we don't got to go to church. We get to go to church. And you see, when we begin to instill those things in our children, then they begin to understand the importance of serving God, and they begin to understand that, wait a minute, if I have a problem, I need to turn to Jesus. If I have a problem, let me go to God's Word, and let me see what God's Word says about it. You know, so it's how we raise our children. You know, how do we correct our children? You know, and some people say, well, you, you got to be careful how you correct them. Yeah, uh, Proverbs chapter 22 says, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Well, I don't didn't correct my children with a rod, but my hand and a belt sufficed plenty of times to give correction. Now, there's a place that you're supposed to correct them, and that's on the backside. That's why there's padding back there. You don't beat them up the back and the arms and everything else. You, you correct them the right way. Don't correct them out of anger. If they do something and you're so mad you're about to uh, tear loose and blow your top, wait. Calm down and, and, and wait till you can rationalize what's going on and correct them out of love and not of anger. You know, and be careful how you talk to your children. They get enough of that out in society, and they get enough of that on social media, uh, being judged and condemned or made fun of or talked about. You know, and when you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, when we're talking about it, it's where it says, children, obey your parents, verses 1 through 3. Then verse 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, don't provoke them to anger, but correct them in the right way with the instruction of God. Do it the biblical way. It may be uh, shocking to some of y'all, but if you'll take God's word and apply it to every area of your life, it works. If you'll apply God's word to being a man, it works. If you'll apply God's word to being a woman, it works. If you'll apply it to, to being a husband and wife, God, help me to love my wife like she deserves to be loved. Help me be the husband that my wife needs and vice versa for women. You know, and then turn around, God, help me be the father that my children need. Help me be an example, a godly example let them see you through me. When you begin to do those things, God, help me be the best employee on my job. 
God, help me to be an awesome member of my church. God, help me to be a good support to my pastor. You see, when you start applying it that way, God, help me to, to be smart with my finances. Help me to do right with my money. You see, when you apply God's word to everything, it works. It's amazing. I know some of y'all maybe have fell out. It just shocked you so much. It's that hard. It's that complicated to be successful in life. Just apply God's word. I mean, man, that's a tough one. But with a little prayer, I believe you'll get it. But we have to be careful with what our children are being taught in our schools, what our children are watching. And I'm going to tell you now, if you have a child under the age of 18, or matter of fact, if you've got a child just living at home, and you feel like they're getting into something that they shouldn't, you need to be involved in it. Well, they, they, it, I just don't feel, no, you need to be involved with it. Don't be ashamed when your children become of age to talk to your children about sex. Well, that's just a, t no, if you don't do it, the TV's going to do it, social media's going to do it, and our joke of a school system run by our government is going to start teaching your children about sex. It's our job to do it. We're the parents. We're to train up a child. It didn't say in the Bible, schools train up a child. It didn't say government train up a child. He, it's a charge to parents. Your job. Your job and my job is to train up a child in the way that he should go. So when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So you see, it's our job to teach our children how to be citizens of society, how to, to, to be uh, an addition to society and not take from society constantly. You know, and it seems like now that that's what we have raised is a give me generation. Gimme, 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 gimme. What can I get for gimme, gimme? Well, you know, I'll help you do this, but how much are you going to give me? So we have to watch how we're raising our children because the, our society is going to raise them completely different. You know, and we need to teach our children that God comes first. Family comes first. You know, the structure should be. And this, this, this will work if you'll apply this to your life. God comes first. Your spouse comes second. Not your children. Never put your children before your spouse. God comes first. Your spouse comes second. Your children comes third. Your job comes fourth. Then your church comes fifth. And that's the order of things. That's how you should do it. And when you begin to do these things, then you begin to see God begin to move in your life. And, and when we look at how much stuff is being thrown at us, uh, you know, th with time, it seems like we don't have time to do anything because we got a kid going over here to do this, and one kid's running over here to do that, and we got another kid over here doing this, and this one wants to go over here, and this one's got this. We have, we, we're running out of time. But when you begin to put God in to that family unit, when you let God be the head of that family unit, God will begin to show you things and be able to do things to where you have more time. And parents, one of the best things you can do, and this is something I learned from mine, 
if you make a mistake, whether it be towards your children, towards your spouse, where, whatever it may be, and it involves your children, set them down and be the first one to apologize to them. You see, I've learned, I learned a lot from my parents on how to do things right. But I also learned how to do it right from their mistakes. When they would make mistakes, they had come to me and say, look, we done this and I apologize. I'm sorry. I corrected you out of anger. I, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. And some people, well, that's my kid. I ain't worried about it. No, those things sometimes seem to stick more than the, all the things that you do right as a parent. And it's okay to be a, a friend to your child. I love hanging out with mine. But at the same time, they have to know when I'm being dad, when enough is enough, when I'm making the decision, and this is how it's going to be. So we are fighting against a world system because, you see, that's why family matters so much to God. When we're a family of one, we'll come to church. When we come to church as a family and other families come, the church grows. But you see, if Satan can tear the family apart, Satan can tear the church apart. And then if Satan can tear the church apart, he can destroy our family unit. He can destroy our lives individually. He can destroy our children. So that's what we need to stay focused on is raising our families in godly households, raising our family according to the word of God. And when we do that, Satan cannot destroy our families. He cannot destroy what God has put together. He may try to attack it, and he's going to. But when you stay focused on God's word, and it, you may be sitting there going, yeah, but all these years I, I, in my past I've made mistakes with my kids. I've done things wrong with my kids. But the past is in the past. We live in the present. We live in the now. Quit focusing on the past. You see, Satan will get you focused on the past so that you can't move forward in your future. You're so hung up on what you did wrong 20 years ago or five years ago that you can't move forward in the now. Your child don't need you 10 years ago. They need you now. Did they need you? Yeah, they needed you. But, you, hey, that's in the past. Focus on the now. And it don't matter how old your child is. You're still their parent. You're there for advice. You're there to be a shoulder to cry on. You're there to be their support system, knowing that no matter what, I'm here for you. I love you. That's how we raise godly children. And if you'll do that, it don't matter how old they are, you'll see them come around eventually, and they'll begin to open up. They'll begin to serve God, give their lives to God, knowing that they've seen that difference in you. You say, what's the best example of Christ in a child's life? Their parents. We are the best example 